0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Because of the failure of the first. So we see... This prophecy would bring about change. He shall bring about peace and true joy and so on. But before that, we see that some things have to happen. First of all, we are we can glean from that passage that the coming of Shiloh would not be according to the dictate of human law or human political system. Be they dictatorial or democratic, it doesn't matter. But rather theocratic, for a time at least. This Shiloh would come along a divine priestly line. The line, the order of Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. And there's only one king of righteousness, who has no genealogy no beginning, no end yet he became incarnate to fulfill the role of an innocent lamb brought to the slaughter so we later on see after the captivity of Israel in Egypt and the institution of the Passover and the temporariness of humanity being demonstrated with the fact that Sins were to be atoned for, but only through sacrifices of animals, and they could not in any way take away sins. So Shiloh means, in the Hebrew, one to whom it belongs. One to whom it belongs. In essence, everything that was created belongs to the Shiloh. His kingdom that is coming belongs to him, and not to any human government or any human system. It was beyond that. So we see from Genesis one fourteen, a very significant uh, uh, a verse we all know of the Moeds, the appointed times of God. And we see where, at that time, it was instituted, the Passover fully explained in Leviticus 23 where all the other appointed times were, were stated. But Genesis 49.10 begins to reveal in a sense the implication for the sins of Adam and Eve. Where the first had failed they had to be a second. Or else, if not we would all remain dead. Because sin is the enemy of all of us. That second Adam could fail, but, but could not afford to fail. Could not afford to fail. So 2,000 years after this prophecy... Not, not 2,000 years but at least somewhere 4,000 years after this prophecy the world would learn how victory would eventually come over death and it, this is significant because that is why we have been commanded to observe his death not his birth because through this death would come life Would come life. It was not the end of everything. For sure. The victory came through the act. Of the Passover. The scepter shall not depart. From Judah. Nor the ruler's staff. From between his feet. Until Shiloh comes. And to him. Shall the obedience. Of the peoples. So this has not been fully uh, has has not been fulfilled as yet, as yet, because it will be later on that we are told that when all when the kingdom of God is established, that all nations will flow, and they will look to this king, this king of righteousness, as he rules from the New Jerusalem. And nations will have to obey him, and people will have to obey him. And all nations, Isaiah 66 tells us, verse 22, will have to appear before him on the, on the Sabbath to worship him whether they like it or not. So, so this, is, this is what we are looking at now, futuristic, all because of this simple act of Passover. The failure of the first, but the triumph of the second, Adam. But what belongs to Shiloh? Because humanity behaves as if, you know, God is not, God is not in this picture. We are in control. God is not sovereign. God is not in charge. God is dead. Because he couldn't be alive with all of what is happening around us. You could never be alive when we see so many atrocities and, and fear of terrorism and, 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 and conflicts and, among nations and so on. And death of young children right now in Yemen and Sudan, South Sudan. There are terrible famine, And the UN just came out this week of how many thousand children are dying. So where is that God? So many cannot grasp this reality of what is going on in our lives today. That God would stand by and allow this to happen. But God is sovereign. Don't ever forget that. God is in charge. No matter what you see happening today, God is in charge because He knows what He's doing. For sure. Or else He could never be God. If he doesn't know what he's doing, he could never be God. And that is, why, that is why it's nonsensical to equate a divine being, a God, to being on the same level with humanity. That God has to be in a different dimension. You have to aspire to, to be above the level that you are at now. I remember a few years ago, there was a lady at my work, and she was a, I know she was a Buddhist. And just in a conversation one day, she said, you know, when I die, I want to come back as a dog. And I said to her, a dog? Why would you want to come back as a dog? You have intellect now, you have understanding, you have You can do things. You have choice and so on. A dog doesn't have that. Why would you want to come back at a lower level? A dog. And she said to me, you know, I never thought of it. That's what she said. I found her answer quite interesting. She said, I never thought of that. I said, yeah, you should think about that. So what belongs to the Shiloh, Luke one twenty three tells us, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Matthew one twenty one says, He shall save the people from their sins, and this is key. He shall save the people from their sins. This is the implication, or one of the implication of the Passover. That the incarnate one, along the priestly and divine order of Melchizedek, would come unto, into, unto his own, And will walk this earth and would be murdered for the sins of the world. And so we are familiar with the term crucifixion and so on and sacrifice and so on. But in essence, it was a murder because he was innocent of what? Innocent of everything. Yet he owned everything. The word Shiloh in Hebrew also means peace. Strong con- Strong's Concordance translates it as tranquil. And of course, this is also a synonym for peaceful. The world now from the fall of man and now to this day, has never enjoyed real peace. Shiloh is going to give it real peace. Real peace. The Passover is not an end to itself, yet it makes provisions for peace through Christ our Passover. Not Christ or Easter, Christ our Passover First Corinthians five seven Christ our Passover. And he is the only one that can bring peace. No wonder in John fourteen twenty seven Jesus says My peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. In the prophecy of the incarnation in Isaiah 9, 6, he's described as the prince of peace. Isaiah 52, 7 again, he says he will publish peace when his kingdom arrives. And Isaiah 66, 12 says he will extend peace like a river. That's the Shiloh. That's the Shiloh, the peaceful one, the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah fifty-four thirteen, he says he will even teach our children peace. Those are the implications of this act that we'll come together once more this year to observe, and all these things, these prophecies, will be accomplished. And so the journey began. And the first Passover in Egypt, where lambs were led to the slaughter as a sacrifice for sins. But a sacrifice that was not enough to take away the sins of humanity. It meant Shiloh had to eventually be the substitute. So Leviticus 23.5 is profound because it's one of the fulfillment of what this Shiloh would accomplish eventually to free us from the so-called death angel and another type of what death really represents it says in the 14th day of the first month that even is the Passover this is why we can be here today with a mission After pledging before God that we are going to follow Him till death, that we are going to be overcomers, that when we come to renew our commitment to Him at Passover, we're telling Him that we have accepted every single implication, we have accepted all that you have said in your word. That you will do. And now we await the establishment of your kingdom. Here on earth. And that in essence. Without Passover. There would be no need for the gospel message. In fact. Without the Passover. And the whole gamut of what happened. The resurrection and so on. Christianity is dead. There would be no need for Christianity without that. Genesis two two. So we see a number of types and antitypes throughout the Old Testament depicting the body of Christ, the church, the innocent lamb, the lamb of God, eventually the lamb of God, who would be sacrificed... And eventually the Lamb of God who would rise triumphantly so that he can return to redeem humanity. We we see the accolades from the angels of this worthy one. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb to occupy that throne. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains I will tell you about. So here we see a type of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. A type. The only begotten son of Abraham. The only begotten son of God the Father. Being sacrificed. And we know the rest of the story. Mount Moriah. Where this event took place. Means God will provide. And King Solomon. Built the first temple. There. We go into Egypt. You see another type. The final plague. That God sent on the Egyptian population. After Pharaoh. After Pharaoh refused to let the people go, it was no ordinary act on of the Almighty. It was the plague of death for all firstborn males. The plague of death, the enemy. Exodus eleven four. The enemy. Because that's, uh, the enemy you and I contend with every single second of our existence, death, and God used that to show Pharaoh that he had the power over him. Exodus eleven four. And Moses said, Thus said the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sits upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against a man or beast... Yet he may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel, and all these thy servants shall come unto me, bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out, and all the people that follow thee. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that my wonders may be multiplied. In the land of Egypt. So God was using the death, the, the death of the firstborn. As a kind of warning. Of, to Pharaoh at least. Of this enemy that is death. But the reality is he had the power over death. He could do his. Because he is sovereign. He could do anything he wanted. He could, tell, he could do anything to Pharaoh, unbeknownst to him, because Pharaoh considered himself a kind of god. But yet, you know, God. Growing up, my father would say that, you know, there are some things. Well, his favorite was every disappointment is for good, and that life is just a mystery. You see some things and you often wonder why God would just harden a man's heart like that and he could just wipe him out in a flash of a second, less than a second. But God do things for his own purpose and to achieve certain things that we may not even see clearly in our lifetime. But you look at Hebrews 12, and you wonder, is it a coincidence that the Apostle Paul pointed to the elect of the church of the firstborn? The elect, the church of the firstborn which are written in heaven. The implications of these firstborn, and we see it coming out later on in the year with Pentecost being the first fruits, Christ being the firstborn among the brethren, and so on. And you look into Egypt and you see these firstborn being stricken with death. It's just pregnant with meaning, those types. These are to be the able ministers of the new covenant so what we see here is not really a type but an anti-type in what occurred among the firstborn in Egypt the first fruits in the harvest will become Christ's own the true Passover lamb at his coming and that is what we are told at his coming, not a minute before but here comes some serious implications of the first Passover that many people today either Either they skirt over it or are ignorant to its prophetic place in the whole plan of God for humanity that will achieve this utopia, and that is the death of sorrow and pain and so on. Another obvious reason why the Passover remains relevant and why Christ Has to be our Passover. Many of you here have lost loved ones. All of us in some regard. Some very close. Some distant. But the reality is at some point in our lives. Someone close is going to go. And we are going to be stricken with grief growing up as a child one of my biggest fear was to lose my parents when i was young and i believe god has blessed me in that regard that i didn't lose my mom on 1985 and my father whose death of his anniversary was last week in 2009 so i was kind of mature and I had a better understanding of death. Because as a child, I didn't have that understanding of death. I just had this fear about it. And today, I mean, no matter how often we hear of death, we still can't get used to it. But I just had, I was just stricken with this fear of death. And I, I don't know what would, ha- would have happened if I lost my parents at a young age. Maybe I would have become some atheist or agnostic. But this enemy that we, this sorrow that it brings, and 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 the pain that it brings, it's it's hard for the human psyche to really get accustomed to that. But then you come into the church and you learn about Jesus Christ, and you learn what He went through, how innocent He was, and, and guess what? He didn't have to. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it. And so we cannot live as if we are doing God a favor by coming to him. (laughs) No. First of all, none of us willingly come to him. None of us. He calls and we answer. He calls. We can reject him. And so when you come into the fullness of the understanding of this plan of Shiloh and how what he achieved through the Passover, that there can come a time now when, if death rob us in this life of someone close or someone distant, we can easily say, this is not the end. That life now is, this is not the end of it. In fact... This is just the beginning. It's a transition. And so I can go to my bed tonight comfortable. That if I don't wake tomorrow morning, I'm okay. It has been a long journey for me to get over that fear of death. And the fact that all my children are baptized now even makes it better. That fear has just disappeared. And this is not my own accomplishment. But one has to give credit to none other than Yahweh because of what He did when He gave His only begotten Son to die. And so, by that very act, He conquered death. And we will conquer death by this act when we are born into the kingdom. Of God. Significant. A lamb came so innocently. Without blemish. Without any faults. And yet he was slaughtered. Note some very. In Exodus 12. Some very important features. In the instruction. And bear them in mind as we go along. In in verse 5. We are told that the lamb shall be without blemish. Without blemish. Without a, a, a bad spot or, you know. That the lamb shall be slaughtered. And the blood used on the doorposts of the Israelite dwelling as a sign that you will be passed over by the death angel who is going to slay all firstborn males. So in our, in our relationship now that we have with the Almighty, that our sins have been washed away, we have an adversary who approaches the throne of grace every day, accusing you and accusing me. Because he's the accuser of the brethren. He's Satan the devil. And just like when he found himself... In God's presence and wanted to take Job to task. Likewise, he approaches God with accusations against us because we do err, we do fall sometimes. But guess what? The implication of the Passover is that is that God would just order him away and say, Get out of my sight, my son. My only begotten son, that's what he did. He covered their sins. He shed his blood. So you have no grounds for accusation. And so that goes on, it's like a daily ritual. We escape the death angel, so to speak. We've been passed over. The blood stain on the doorpost in Egypt. That blood has washed you and I clean. And we stand justified before God. We stand righteous before God, not by our own act, but the blood of Jesus Christ. So the painting on that doorpost can be seen as a kind of confession made public. That this blood was going to save the lives of the Israelites that night. And likewise today, that blood of Jesus Christ is what we now can confess and say yes, it was done for the remission of our sins. So today we can publicly confess our sins and publicly embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, despite all what you hear about there outside of this room. And in wider society about all the other ways to God and there can only be one true God. As long as you have the name God and you're nice and you follow the dictates of humanity and you don't kill and you don't steal and you're a nice person, everything is fine. Concentrated nonsense. Absolute nonsense. There's only one Savior. And every knee shall bow Before him in the fullness of time. And all tongues will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And that there is no other savior. In the universe. Despite what is happening. I just saw a report just last night. From the World Watch Institute. That says. By the year 2070. I don't know if the world will last that long. But by the year 2070, Islam will be bigger than Christianity. If that happens still, there's still one true God, Yahweh. One true God. And don't be surprised if it happens too. So we still have to embrace and publicly accept that Jesus Christ is Lord and is the only true Savior. And that when we go to a pool or when we go to a beach or when we go to an ocean and we get baptized and we bury the old man that is here. We are fully aware and accept the shed blood of Jesus Christ and that what. That is what saves us and reconciles us to God and allow us to claim righteousness. Not through our own actions, but that ultimate sacrifice. And brethren, I've reached a stage in my life, I don't, I don't care what people say anymore in terms of how they ridicule and mock that you and live in God. I don't care what they say anymore. In my conversations with them, I say, You know what? You have a right to your opinion, but it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe because Jesus Christ is coming. It doesn't matter what you say, you cannot stop the return of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what the the bright minds and the theologians of this age and the the, the, the so-called... Uh, Whether they be from the Jesus seminar or whatever, it doesn't matter what they believe. The fact is, Jesus Christ is returning, and if you do not repent, you're going to end up in the lake of fire. Simple. People won't change. Many of those whom God is calling, they will still resist. And we will tell them the truth, but it's for them to accept Christ or Passover. So we see how significant the implications are for human history and for the civilization to come because of this act. The elders of Israel sacrificed the Passover lambs for the first Passover, although there was no Levitical priesthood as yet, but they did the instructions, they followed, but rather, who gave them instruction to do so? Who, who did it come from? It came from the high priest. The ultimate high priest, Jesus Christ himself. So we, from that we can see the broader message from this first Passover, that, that a lamb that was unblemished, Male would be slain, the blood as a sign of mercy, the ultimate high priest given instruction in the absence of a levitical priesthood. Indeed, today he still remains as our high priest. They ate the flesh of a lamb. What are we commanded to do at Passover? We take the bread and we eat the bread symbol of his flesh and he says you do it in remembrance of my broken body the unleavened bread and who is the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth it's jesus christ or passover so today and coming up in april we will eat symbolically the unleavened bread representing his body. And we will drink the wine representing his blood. But it was no longer, it is no longer the blood on that doorpost in Egypt. So we come into our New Testament thinking now that that blood represents the blood that dropped from that cross and stake or whatever and fell in the dust at the feet of the roman soldiers plop goes the sound of that blood that dropped so that is the blood we're talking about now no longer the blood of bulls and goats that could not take away sins Exodus 12:5 says your lamb shall be an unblemished male a year old you may take it from the sheep or from the goats We have to be careful how we live our lives to God because when in the days of Nehemiah the prophet when they were taking the sacrifices you know what they did they looked for all the sick lambs the one with the sore feet And they bring it for sacrifice. And God was annoyed. Why are you bringing me that? Go give it to the governor. You think they would have given that to the governor? No. But they think they can bring it to God. So we have to be. We have to take a cue from that. That in our worship. That in our attitude to God. That we do the right things. That we have the right attitude to worship. So that is that lamb was unblemished, but in the New Testament we see that Christ is the unblemished lamb. 1 Peter 1.19, but with precious blood of Christ as of a lamb unblemished. And without spot. You, you read these scriptures, and, and you, 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 you see this link coming back from from the from the the, the Mo the Moed or the Moedines of Leviticus twenty three, and you wonder how can people miss this with their Easter message? How can they miss this? The types and the antitypes, the unblemished lamb. Not the eggs and the you know bunny rabbit or whatever symbols. But the symbol of, of, of lamb and, and, and blood and so on. Exodus 12, 6. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. God commanded Israel to take a lamb on the 10th day and set it aside until the 14th day. And guess what? Jesus fulfilled the four days during the week of Passover with that. Because he entered Jerusalem around the 10th and went into the temple there for four days. And it was there during the time he was interrogated by the chief priest. We are, we've seen that in Matthew twenty-one, twenty-three, By Pilate, Matthew 27 one. Two eleven. Also, Matthew twenty-four, Matthew fourteen, seventy to twenty-six. They appear before Herod, Luke twenty-three, six. Can't got you all of these scriptures. Ananias the high priest, Luke three, two, John 18, 13, 4, And so he appeared before Pilate, and there was an interesting conversation there. truth if you check the upcoming art uh, magazine prevail I will have a little narrative there about this because I found it rather intriguing that Pilate wanted to know about truth and he asked Christ himself what is truth and when he, he 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 keeps giving him the answer but Pilate wasn't getting the message and when he was about to give him the answer, Pilate walked away. But you know what it reminds me of? When you try to tell people the truth today, they also walk away. And they don't want to listen. Exodus 12, 11, And thus you shall eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, Your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in the haste. It is the Lord's Passover. It's a time for preparedness. They were ready to go. They were ready to leave slavery in Egypt. They were ready to leave sin. Likewise the child of God today. We must be girded with the word of God. We must be girded with truth. Ready that when that sound of the trumpet in 11th 100th of a second. When it is blown. That's the time the eye twinkles. That we would be ready. Prepared. That the bride. Will be. Prepared. But who was giving this command. From the very beginning. About this Passover. To Shiloh. Shiloh. Exodus twelve forty six, it is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. Of course, Psalms tells us about prophetic scenario there again regarding the broken bones. John nineteen thirty two, the soldiers came. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man and the other man who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately there came out blood and water. And he who has seen has borne witness, and his witness is true. And he knows he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not a bone of him shall be broken. So what's the full prophetic fulfillment? made its way through the centuries we see even in the New Testament that Christ proclaims himself as our Passover and that night when he sat down with his followers symbols were changed and had to be changed they had to be because he was the new Passover no longer lambs and paint in the doorpost with blood. The blood was going to be his own shed blood. So he drank wine and he ate unleavened bread. Matthew twenty six twenty seven. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament. Which is shed for the remission of sins. And 1 Corinthians 11.24 when he had given thanks he break it and said. Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And so we come here each Passover and we go through all of those scriptures. A remembrance. A memorial of him. So the significant development that night as we look at the implications here is that there was no longer a need for slaughtering lambs. The Jews were doing that. (laughs) Interestingly. But for for the followers of Jesus Christ they realized there was no more need to do that. Because there was one special lamb who once and for all, not a yearly ritual no when you have to go up to the to the temple or bring in all of these sacrifices that sacrifice would be once and for all, because the blood of bulls and goats could not in any way take away sins matthew twenty seven forty six tells us after all the trials from, from the religious order of the day and through the Herod and through the high priest and so on. He eventually wasn't even given a chance, well, so to speak, but they came and they condemned him to death. The second Adam now would prove whether he would overcome. Whether he would give in. Before that, he was taken into the wilderness to be tempted. You know the story, how Satan the devil cleverly used scriptures back at him to tempt him. But he didn't give in. He could have, but he didn't give in. And he went through all of that trial and all this discouraging. And that he, he witnessed people who were following him for, for, for years. For years. his ministry was three and a half years. That at the last minute they ran away. They abandoned him. Talking about loyalists. And the, the great man Peter. When Christ told him, You're going to deny me? Me? No, not me. Master, I would never do that. Never do that. And we see what happened. So he was abandoned by everyone. Maybe except his human family. They ran away, they deny him. So he was left alone. But that was a task the second Adam had to endure. Had to endure. And in a moment of, of human weakness, he told the father, it is, if it's possible, please take this cup, take this opportunity away from me. I don't think I can do it. We see the humanity coming out at that juncture. But the same week before when he marched into Jerusalem. Coming on the donkey and palm tree, palm leaves being spread on the side along the road and so on. Or people greeting him with it. And they were chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna. But a week later he was rejected. And so... On the ninth hour, when all that he had gone through and all this, the the thief on the cross talking about, you know, remember me when you when you when you are in paradise and so on, and and the other one mocking him and saying, well, you not save us, why don't you save yourself? And the soldiers casting lots, and boy. I came across a very interesting piece written by a a historian a very rare historian when I say rare he was one of the contemporaries during the time of Jesus and much of his writing has has been lost and they can only find fragments here and there his name is Julius Africanus and they found a piece of just a tiny piece of one of his earlier writings where he described what happened that day of crucifixion when the skies went dark when the earthquake rippled across the land very interesting one more piece of evidence physical evidence and extra biblical evidence for the death of Jesus Christ and so on that ninth hour he could cry out he could show us the implication of from going back to Genesis one fourteen, and subsequently the first Passover in Egypt and that there were times on the Babylonian captivity when it wasn't held There were times when Israel lost sight of the true God and all God's holy days and laws were were forgotten, but the Passover survived. And when Jesus came on the scene as the incarnate one, that he once more kept it with, kept it, and his followers did the same. That after his departure from this earth, the primitive church was still followed what he did up until maybe about 150 AD we started seeing some changes quarter decimal controversy and all of that and polycarp standing out that no I will keep this Passover on the date I got it from John the Apostle and after the second century we see it, the observance taking a dive going down and being fade out of history, although a small number, a remnant is always there who kept it, small and persecuted, and to this day we see that number still small, small, and persecuted in a sense because we are called cults, because we do it. But the Passover still survives today, not among the vast majority. But a tiny minority. Just like it was in the time of Jesus Christ. And so he said aloud. Eli, Eli. Lama Sabakhtinai, That is my God. My God. Why hast thou forsaken me? That came out. But moments after that. Or a time a few hours after that. He will be, not a few hours, just moments after that, he will be able to say, It is finished. All of this is finished. The Passover has earned its place in human history with the death of the Messiah. Hebrews 9.12 says, And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works. To serve the living God. And Hebrews 9.25 says. For Christ did not enter a holy place. Made with hands. A mere copy of the true one. But in heaven itself. No appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself. Often as the high priest. Enters the holy place year by year. With blood that is not his own. Otherwise he would have. Needed to suffer often. Since the foundation of the world but now once at the consummation of the ages he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself in this year 2017 the great God of all humanity is saying listen to me O nations and those whom The Father is drawing nigh to me. Learn and follow my ways, and you will escape the coming wrath of the Lamb. You cannot save yourself. I am your Passover. You are going to be my royal priesthood, my holy nation, my special people, who will be awarded the privilege of being a first fruit of the harvest. God has allowed the the, the Passover to remain with us because he sees and knows the implications of it. He made a very significant statement in Matthew. When he says, I'm looking forward to sip of the cup of the fruit of the vine when I sip it anew with you in the kingdom of God. So we even see the implications of the Passover being extended into the kingdom. We see in a marriage supper of the Lamb. Another implication being played out, yet futuristic. But as we as I wind on and as we approach the Passover, I just want to take the remaining minutes to focus a little bit on our attitude. To what we are about to do and how we should throughout the whole year have this attitude of humility and, and to serve one another. Just as how our master laid down his life for us. I'm taking by a story in Matthew six six. It says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he, as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble you, the woman? For she has wrought a good work upon me. For you have you have the poor always with you, but me you have not always have. For in that she has poured out this ointment on my body. No doubt they were self-righteous and you know pompous people around. Look at this precious. In that time, in those days, this alabaster box of very precious oils were were imported stuff. They come from. Far away lands, and it, it were very expensive. Is Nowadays, I'm trying to think what kind of oil, expensive oil that ladies tell me you, you use, the, whether it's oil of ole or whatever, but something expensive. And they say, How dare you throw it on somebody's feet? Notice what Jesus said. This ointment, she has poured this ointment. On my body. She did it for my burial. For my burial. Jesus saw the significance of that. No matter how expensive. No matter how precious. This oil is. They 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 are crying. Oh. And then you know. They are clever too. Because they say. You know what. It should be sold and give it to the poor. And nothing is wrong with that. It sounds logical. Right? But this is. The Savior we are talking about. In other words, he's saying to us, there can be nothing too difficult, nothing too precious that you can sacrifice for me. Because I've made the ultimate sacrifice for you. Another implication of the Passover message. Look at John 12, 1 quickly. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. It was just before the Passover, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table within. Then they took Mary, a pound of ointment of spikenard, another expensive, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, of all persons, "Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor?" Now this is significant, you know. Three hundred pence and given to the poor. Modern day calculations, if I stand to be corrected, it was about the same amount of money that he sold Jesus for. And he was the one making noise. Oh, why don't you sell it and give it to the poor? Jesus said in verse 7: Let her alone against the day of my burying, has she kept this. The day of my burial. So they had the right attitude. And that is what is very significant when we come to the season of Passover attitude. We've seen how the implications played here and there throughout history. And so when we are gathered here, when we come together to do the Passover, let us approach it with that that sense of humility, that sense of purpose, that sense of accomplishment of what Christ has done for all of us. For all of us, for every single human being that was ever Born. And so that's the, the kind of message I want to leave with you here today as we, we look back from where it's coming and we see how this is not just a mere act. Very deep, very profound. And I, and I would hope you as well, I want to be present. In the futuristic application of the Passover. When the kingdom of God. Is established. So I'm going to leave you. With this verse. In. Revelation. It says. And the angel said to me. Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. You know what? Every single one of us here have that invitation. To be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I know I'm going to be there. I want you to say the same thing. That you're going to be there. We all want to see one another. But when you have some time, you can go through at a deeper level. I only had a few, less than all, to do this. To see how the implications of of this event is so significant. Back then, now, and for the future. So may you all have a very blessed Passover.